You may be seated. Today we are beginning a brand new series that I have been thinking about and studying in for the last six months, and I am so excited about it. It is called String of Pearls, because there's a rabbinic technique where a rabbi, God himself uses it, will reach into the Bible and pull out pearls of wisdom, show you something in the Old Testament you may not have seen before. Then he'll reach into the Bible and pull out another pearl, show you something you may not have seen before. And then they'll reach in the Bible again and pull out a pearl and show you something maybe in a different way you've seen before. But then they will string those pearls together to give you an insight into the scripture that just comes alive. And we hope that as we go through this scripture today and we go through the Bible today, you're going to discover that. For the next six to nine months, we're going to cover the entire book of Mark and hopefully see Jesus in a new and fresh way. But to do that, I have a Bible over here on my right and it has lots of pearls in it. So we're going to grab some of those pearls and pull them out together. So we're going to reach over to the Bible. You can see lots of different pearls of scriptures about life, about anger, about predictions made about the Messiah. And we're going to look at a couple of these pearls together. So the first one we're going to look at is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. So Genesis 22, verse 2 is a passage that describes something about the Messiah. So let me find the scripture up here. and I'll put it on the screen behind me. If you have your Bible, you can look for it. Here it is. In Genesis 22, 2, it says, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. This is the beloved son, and go to the land of Moriah. Now if I said to you, I'm not dead yet, I feel happy, you'd immediately know I'm referencing Monty Python, if you watch Monty Python. Now, if someone in the New Testament quoted the beloved son, you would immediately think about Genesis 22.2. That phrase was anchored into that particular pearl. And it was about a son who would one day be killed by his father or, or be sacrificed by his father until God intervened. And he would be crucified or he'd be sacrificed on the land of Moriah. Now, what's interesting about the land of Moriah is that Solomon will build the temple on the exact same land of Moriah where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, which means the temple resided on the same location that Isaac was going to be sacrificed, which means that when Jesus came to earth and was going to be sacrificed at the temple, he was sacrificed in the exact same location as Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac so many years ago. But here's the piece we want to grab from this pearl, that there's a phrase called the beloved son, the loved son, that is critical for us to understand when we get to the book of Mark. Let's go back to the pearls. We're going to grab another one. Knock that one down there. Okay, I'll take that one. So our second one is in Psalms. So we're going to move from the Pentateuch that Moses wrote into the Psalms. That is part of a section of Scripture called the Writings. So the Old Testament is divided into three chunks, if you're Jewish. That was the Pentateuch, Moses' writings, the Writings, which was the, the wisdom literature, and the Prophets. So this one, let me find this passage for you. Oh, but Psalms, yep, Psalms. So from Psalms, again, speaking of the Messiah, it says, yet I have set my king, the Messiah, my future ruler on my holy hill in Zion. So the messianic prophecy. And I will declare the decree. And the Lord has said to me. So here's what God says to the one who's going to be his future king. You are my son. So the Messiah has a very special relationship with the father. He declares, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, ask of me, and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth is your possession. 
So here we find in Psalms the Messiah is one who is called the Son of God, and he is the one who is also going to inherit the land. One more pearl. So now we're going to look again. We're going to find another passage, and this time we'll look for one that's in Isaiah. So this is coming from a a third section of the Old Testament called the Prophets. So in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, it says something very interesting. Let me find that passage for you. Here we go, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Again, speaking of the Messiah, he says, Behold, my servant, again, the servant being the Messiah, whom I uphold, the elect one, in whom my soul delights. And this phrase in Hebrew uh, means the one in whom I am pleased in, the one I delight in. I not only am going to set up the Messiah to bring forgiveness, but I want you to know he's got a special relationship with me. He's loved. He's my son, but he's the one in whom I delight in. And I have put my spirit upon him, and he's going to bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So three little pearls that are going to be referenced in the book of Mark in an incredible way as God strings these together. We'll get to those in just a moment. And my hope is, as we go through the series together, we're going to not only develop our faith in Jesus, but we're going to develop the faith of Jesus. Many of us have faith in Jesus, but as we look at how Jesus interacts with the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, with other people, I want us to develop a faith of Jesus, not just faith in Jesus. We'll look at four questions in the text here in Mark chapter 1 today and hope that as we discover it, we will tap into God's power, understand his kingdom around us, and begin to see that the Bible is historically accurate and is woven together in a way that is incomprehensible to a human mind when you see how God does it. Let's begin with the first question. Do you know that all heaven is about to break loose? Because Mark begins his gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And immediately as that word gospel appears, we have another pearl. Immediately they would be thinking about Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Here we have the word gospel from the Old Testament. How lovely are the mountains on the feet of him who brings good news. The word gospel means good news. The one who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness and announces salvation. This is the beginning of the predictions made that the good news is coming. Deliverance is coming. Peace is coming. Salvation is coming. So for the Jewish audience, they read this opening line and said, this is it. All heaven is about to break loose. But it also meant something to the Greeks who were reading this and the Romans. Because the word gospel was a very technical and official term used all the way back to Octavian, who changed his name to Augustus, and he's known as Caesar Augustus. The Romans had all these different factions, and they were fighting back and forth until Octavian came along, and he put an end to all wars. Now, he did it by conquering everybody, but he set himself up as a Messiah, as God, and he called his message the gospel. So wherever the Caesar came, the gospel came, the good news, the Roman paxa, the Roman peace. And so when you use the word gospel, it would be like today playing hail to the chief. It was the song only used for the president. The gospel was a term used only of the Caesar. You weren't allowed to use it. It was illegal to use that term except when you spoke of the king, the Caesar being there. So Mark is already starting a gospel that is already offensive and coming in the face of the Greeks and Romans. He's saying, you think the gospel comes from the Caesar? No, 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 no. All heaven, the gospel is about to break loose and it comes from Jesus. 
He is the bearer of the good news. And so the gospel means the king is reigning. The king is coming. The king's will is being done. Heaven is about to touch earth right here in our midst. If you think about it this way, God has a kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, and that our world is right now the kingdom of darkness and is controlled by the evil one. There are certain moments in time when God allowed the kingdom of heaven to intersect with the kingdom of earth. It was usually at the tabernacle. It was at that moment at the tabernacle you could find forgiveness. You couldn't get forgiveness anywhere else but the tabernacle. You could find reconciliation. You could meet with God, but only at the tabernacle or later at the temple. Something amazing is going to happen as we begin to see all heaven break loose in the story of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, the kingdom breaks out. Healing occurs here. Forgiveness occurs here. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That would have been shocking to the audience. You can only get your sins forgiven up there at the temple. No, Jesus says, because I am here, God's presence is here. All heaven is breaking loose right here. I am the source of God's presence. And this was shell shocking to the audience. Let me tell you more. Just that first line. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ, Mr. Smith. Christ is his title. Saying Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. And here again, the the Jewish audience would have had a string of pearls going on. Because to know that he is the anointed one was very significant. Where Roman commanders had the big pomp and circumstance, how a Jewish king became a king is he was anointed. David was anointed. Solomon was anointed. So let's grab another pearl of wisdom. It's going back to David. So with David, with David you have a passage coming out of Psalms 45 that describes where anointing began. Look how David describes this relationship. He says, your love, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions, talking of David, by anointing you with the oil of joy. To be anointed by God is to be anointed with joy. Which is why Christians should be the happiest beings in the universe. Because we have been anointed by joy. But very specially, the Messiah and the kings were anointed by God for leadership. And notice what it says, your robes are fragrant. You smell like a king. You smell like Mariah and aloes and cassia. So here's what that meant. When you would take off your outer garment and then you would kneel down and be anointed, the anointing would go over your face. It would soak into your undergarments. And then you would put your overgarments back on, but you would still smell like a king. So you could smell the anointed one coming. Here comes the Jewish king. He just smelled good, very precious, very expensive aloes and perfumes and colognes. As he walked in, it's like, oh, God is here. God's leader is here. Here's another one from Song of Solomon. This is the beloved speaking of her husband, King Solomon. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke? He is, he is perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchant's fragrant powders. Behold, it is Solomon's couch. With 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. The king smelled like a king because he'd been anointed with myrrh and aloes. Now jump with me in the book of Mark. We'll get to it in six months from now. Mark 14. And being in the Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, 
As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. This one year's wages worth of oil perfume, this woman who'd been forgiven by Jesus, will pour it upon him and will wash him, dry it with her hair, and Jesus will be anointed. He is the anointed one. But do you know where Mark chapter 14 occurs? Right before Jesus goes to the cross. Which means Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, who's the king and what is truth? And Jesus smelled like the king. As Jesus stood before the folks who cried out, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus, who you call your king, who smells like a king? Or do you want Barabbas the murderer? We want Barabbas. And they made Jesus take his cross. And as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, in the midst of the blood and the sweat and the animals and the smell of filth in the city, you could smell God's anointed walking up. Golgotha. And as he stood there crucified with nails pounded into his hands and his feet, if you, if you smelled, you could still smell the anointing upon him because a woman who'd been forgiven by him anointed him right before his walk to Calgary. Jesus, the anointed one. So the first question is, do we realize that what happened here is that all heaven was breaking loose? The second question, as he goes to verse 2, is, will I align myself to heaven? If heaven is really here, it's breaking loose in my midst through confession, through love, through sacrifice, through, through forgiveness, through peace, through self-control. Will I align myself to that? And here again is an example of the string of pearls. Mark says, as it is written in the prophets, notice the word prophets, and he is going to take three passages from the Old Testament and string them together because all three reference the idea that God sends a messenger or an angel, the same word can be used for both, to proclaim the kingdom's coming, to proclaim that heaven is on its way. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and that comes out of Exodus 23, who will prepare your way before you, that comes out of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what he does, he says three examples in the Bible where God said before the Messiah comes, there would be someone who prepared the way, who called people to get in line, to align themselves to the new work God was about to do. And he strings these pearls together to say, this is it. This is that moment. So to his audience, he says, are you prepared? Are you preparing yourself for the way of the Lord? Now, the word way like a road, it's not like a four-lane highway or a two-lane highway or even a path. It, the, the, the term used here is a lot like footprints. Like my dad would go out in the snow a lot when it was this time of year because we burned firewood in our house. Still do. And my dad had these giant blue moon boots. He still got them 25 years later. And he would go out in the snow and he'd be stomping out to where the wood pile was. He'd get the wood and he'd stomp his way back. And he'd create a path in the two or three foot snow sometimes. Once a week, we were supposed to get firewood. And it was, you know, for us, it was up to our waist trying to get out there to get firewood. So what I would do is I would try and walk in his path. But his leg spread was a lot farther than mine. So I'd be like, there's one. Oh, and there's one. And I'd go out to get the firewood. And this is the same picture given here that if you want to walk in the path of Jesus, you see how he walks. You see how he loves you see how he lives and you say, I want to prepare my heart to align myself to his path. 
God, I want to trust God the way you trust God. I want to forgive my enemies the way you forgave your enemies. I want to have compassion toward those that drive me crazy like you had compassion. I want to get angry at the right times like you did. You walk in his path. It's a continual act of faith when we choose to we choose daily to believe that his way is best to align ourselves to him. Because when you confess, when you give, when you forgive, you are aligning yourself in that moment with heaven. The next question. Therefore, will I agree with heaven? Part of aligning yourself is saying, I agree. What heaven says is wrong is wrong. What heaven says is right is right. Of all the paths I could choose, I'm going to agree that his path is the best path. So John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance and remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So confessing means to agree with. I agree, God, this is wrong. I agree I'm not on the right path. It seems like John had two different audiences. One audience were those who did not yet follow God. And they had to confess or agree they needed God to be their redeemer. They needed remission of sins. But there was also a group that were Christians, not in the Jesus-following way, but in the God of the Bible-following way, who said, I need to also confess as a follower of God that I have not been living out the path. I know God forgives me. I'm one of his children, but I'm not living the way I need to live. I'm not prepared in the way. And I too need to agree and get in alignment with heaven and the work of God as he's coming. So two thoughts here. I want to mention baptism for a moment and I want to mention the Jordan. I got a chance to visit the Jordan River again last October. And I was just shocked at how small that thing is. I mean, if you grew up in my uh, area of central Illinois, you might call that a crick. It's a crick or a creek. That's a crick. It's that small enough. But during the rainy season, it goes way up. You can see the rock level, so the water level goes up. It can be as far as a mile wide, that little creek, during the rainy season. So people came from all over out to the Jordan River, some for the first time saying, I need forgiveness, I need to confess or agree with God. Others for the second or third time saying, I need to be baptized again to be washed and align myself. Now, there's three types of, there's probably more than that, but at least three types of baptism. John's baptism occurred prior to Jesus coming. So we don't practice John's baptism. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then there's another teaching on baptism that says that you need to be baptized to get to heaven. And if you don't get baptized, you don't get to heaven. And the Bible clearly teaches against that. You do not need anything except grace to get to heaven. In fact, Jesus is on the cross. He turns to the thief on the cross, the classic example, and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't get baptized, didn't get wet, and he got to heaven. So what good is baptism? Well, it's very important. We practice what's called believer baptism. So when you come to a place in your life after you've made a decision to accept Christ as your forgiver and leader, you choose to be baptized. And it's a public declaration of saying, Christ forgave me. And as I go under the water and I come up out of the water, I'm declaring to to my friends, I'm declaring to my church family, I'm with him. It's an outward sign of the inward reality. So you don't need to be baptized to get into heaven. But when you get baptized, you do align yourself with heaven. God is so pleased to see people. Even if you're dedicated as a child or baptized as a child, when you come to a place of belief on your own, when you get baptized, God smiles and celebrates at that moment. I did hear our baptistry. 
is a place where heaven breaks loose three times a year, sometimes more, as folks decide they want to align themselves with heaven. Now, John's baptism was different. It was before all that. John came from a uh, group called the Essenes. If you see where the Dead Sea Scrolls were interpreted in Qumran, I got a chance to visit there as well, and they were Essenes. They practiced baptism seven, ten times a day. In fact, you had to be baptized in living water. So they built this aqueduct 500 yards long, goes all the way up to the mountains to get living water, moving water, and they would channel it down into their, uh, into their mikvahs, which is their baptistries. Then they would step into the mikvah, and again, sometimes you would step into the mikvah several times a day. And it was a way of saying, I, as a believer in God, got off the path. I had a bad attitude. Uh, I, I wasn't thankful. And I need to wash myself again to get in alignment with the kingdom. So you don't need to be baptized multiple times today. Confession becomes the act of what the scenes used to do. You do daily need to say, God, I've got to have alignment again. I want to confess or agree with you. And then you step back into his path and say, thank you that you forgave me even of this. And it keeps motivating or being the grace that motivates you to walk with him. So those are different kinds of baptism. But the, the point is still the same. When we confess today, we realign our heart with God and his purposes of heaven. Now, he goes on to say, now, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, this just shows this is a man's man, right? This guy's got camel hair. He's got his leather belt. And he reaches over and finds a cicada. <coughs> Thank goodness for John. Get rid of that cicada. However, it may not be that he's eating actual locusts. The only reason is because there's a tree called the carob tree over in Israel in that area he was at. And it's also called, if you look it up, it's called the carob tree or the locust bean. And so here's what the locust beans look like. And they're called locust beans because they look like big, long locusts. I was walking along, came around one of those carob trees, walked up to it, and if you snap that thing off, you can eat it. And it tastes a little bit like chocolate. So it could be that what they're describing is John was a person of the land. He was, he was living off the land. He's out baptizing people. He's living off the land. For breakfast, he reaches over. Ah, breakfast, chocolate. And then for dinner, he has honey, wild honey. He's out there eating from the land. Now, wouldn't that be a breakfast and lunch? That would, the, the John Bap, John the Baptist diet. Honey in the morning, chocolate in the afternoon, and for dinner you can have chocolate-covered honey or honey-covered chocolate. But what he's describing here is this man's man. He might be literally eating locusts, or he might be eating this thing called locusts today. I don't know. But he's this man out there, and, and he's living off the land. And he gives testimony that Jesus is who he says he was. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who's mightier than I whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I. And again, the writer Mark is saying, the person you most respect, John, was the predicted preparer of the way proclaimer, and he said, Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. He is the source of heaven breaking loose. Follow him. He testified to that. So the audience would be like, wow, that's what he did. That's what this is about. So the question is, will we join heaven's assault? If heaven is really breaking loose when Jesus came on earth, and it's now but it's still yet to come, there's parts of heaven that are breaking loose, will we join heaven's assault against darkness, against bitterness, uh, against the forces of evil that's happening in the world? Will we join heaven's assault? It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth. 
As I mentioned before, another pearl from the Old Testament. The, the Messiah was known as the branch of Israel. Nazareth means branchville. So the branch predicted in the Old Testament in that pearl is now born in branchville. And he was from Galilee, as the Bible says, and he will be called a Galilean, another pearl. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, by the way, we'll find out, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting. And this word parting literally means torn open. So it wasn't like, oh, it was ripped open. Same term used of another pearl. Let me grab one more pearl for you. I'll see if this top one we have here is it. Nahum. In the book of Nahum, Nineveh is about to be destroyed. That kingdom is about to be destroyed. And as it's about to be destroyed, God says the rivers are torn open as my purposes come against the evil kingdom of Nineveh. Same word that now the kingdom of heaven is ripped open and it's about to assault the kingdom of darkness that is in control of this world. A lot of what we do around here at the church is about assaulting the kingdom of darkness. Just in the last month, we together as a church family packed 272,160 meals that are being sent right now to Central America. We are assaulting the kingdom of darkness that would let children made in his image die from starvation. We're joining the assault. Last week, we sent a team down to Belize. Amazing stories of kids who have ears that didn't develop on their cheeks and removing ears from cheeks and putting them back where they need to go. Kids who got burns and you couldn't even see their face and were restoring their hair and their face with our surgical teams. Teams going to Belize in a soccer field in, in a country that probably has one decent soccer field. In the smallest and poorest of villages, we got on our hands and our knees and we actually built a soccer field out of artificial turf in the middle of this poorest of poor area that's going to be used to draw people in to teach them about Jesus. We had a family night last Sunday night. At that family night, we talked about how to talk to your kids about sexuality in a healthy way. We found over 90% of the parents have never had one conversation with their kids about that. And we encouraged them. We've got to come and assault this culture that gives this counterfeit of intimacy by becoming very comfortable talking about God's view of sexuality, not as the no, 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 but as the yes, yes, yes. What does faithfulness look like? What does purity look like? What does intimacy look like? What does a passionate marriage look like? We're trying to assault the kingdom of darkness and join the assault. And as this assault is beginning, as all heaven is breaking loose, the, the, the heavens get torn apart, the, the Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, and the voice comes from heaven and says, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my son, Psalms chapter 2. The beloved son, Genesis chapter 22. Whom I'm well pleased, Isaiah 42. And God amazingly strings together these pearls in, an, in a declaration of his love for his son. There's so much more there. He says, I'm quoting three different passages. The beloved son that would one day be sacrificed is here. This is my son, Psalms 2. The one who will inherit the earth and bring justice to the nation. The one in whom I delight in, that I am well pleased in, Isaiah. But it's more than that. He purposely picks three different passages from the three major sections of the Bible to say Moses declares he's the son. 
The writings declare he's the Messiah and the prophets declare he's the Messiah. This is the predicted Messiah that you prayed for and read about and called for. And I testify what John testified, what all of the scripture testified. This is my beloved son, the anointed one in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Even God strings pearls and the audience was shell shocked. And immediately Mark's word again. The spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was there in the wilderness for 40 days. And he took on the force of evil, Satan himself. And there's wild beasts there who couldn't touch him. And the angels came and ministered to him. This is God's promised one. How do you respond to that? If Jesus is who he says he was, if he came to have all heaven break loose, why would I align myself with anything else? I may struggle with confession because I feel like, well, I'm being a bad person or I don't want to confess. The minute you confess, you're aligning yourself with heaven. What's really hard for me to give? When you give, you're aligning yourself with heaven. It's really hard for me to be thankful because there's so much bad stuff going on. When you're thankful, you're aligning yourself with heaven. Heaven can break loose right now in your life if you will choose to agree and align and join heaven's assault in your family, in your marriage, in our culture. Which I think this last thing that Jesus says is a question worth leaving yourself on. It's this. How deeply do I believe what I say I believe? After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. All heaven's breaking loose. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Right here. The kingdom's breaking through. It's right here. So repent. Turn away from whatever other kingdoms you're living for and join heaven right now and believe in the gospel. I think for many of us, we think the belief is something that you do one time. I believe in God and I'm done. I believe in Jesus and I'm done. But belief is much more like water that needs to soak into the soil of your heart. You see, you say, I believe in God, but it hasn't soaked in very deeply. How deeply do you believe in God? Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, do you struggle with worry? Do not worry about tomorrow. What you need to do is start believing that you have a Father in Heaven who takes care of the birds of the air. You need to go back to that belief and say, do I deeply believe in a God who controls the universe? Do I deeply believe in a God who cares about me and I'm more valuable than the two birds that are thrown off? Do I deeply believe in a God who thinks I'm more valuable than grass? Why? I say I believe that God is judge because I'm trusting him for salvation, but I hold grudges because I'm not trusting him to be judge of my situation. See, part of repenting is saying, God, I have not let your beliefs and your path soak into me. Because if heaven is meeting with earth, then at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to dwell and live in you and in me as a follower of Christ, something amazing occurs. The kingdom of heaven goes wherever you go. Because the Holy Spirit's in you. Are you bringing the kingdom with you into your marriage? Are you bringing the kingdom with you into your family? Are you letting the the kingdom, all heaven, break loose in your community? Do you really believe you have the Holy Spirit in you? If so, then all heaven can break loose every day as you choose to align yourself with heaven. So we partake of communion tonight. I invite the band to come up. I want you to ask yourself, how deeply do I believe in his mercy? How deeply do I believe in his forgiveness? How deeply have I allowed his grace to wash over me? Because we are going to participate in communion as a way of saying thank you, God, 
thank you that you're the anointed one that was predicted before me. Thank you that you gave your word. And your word is, is so integrated that I can trust it. Who could write this stuff but God? God wants you to know his word is trustworthy. His son was the predicted Messiah. And he came to do the work of bring us forgiveness. That we could walk in his path and find incredible freedom. Let's celebrate communion together. At this time, we'd like to invite the host team to come forward. This morning, this communion is for each and every one of us who wants to partake of the communion. We ask that as the elements are handed out, that you just hold on to them as we sing the song as a time of reflection and prayer. And then as soon as the song is done, Chad will come back up and we will take communion together this morning. You know, communion is a reminder of many days. It's a reminder of the day that He died for us. It's a reminder of the hope we have that one day He will come for us. And some people focus on either the past of what He did do, which is powerful, the hope of what He will do, which is powerful. But don't miss the day which is today. As you partake of communion, all heaven can break loose right here and right now. So we take His body. Oh, heaven breaks loose as we say, God, you're not forgiving me now. You forgave me then. This is just a reminder that I am forgiven in Christ. I am shameless in Christ. I am guilt-free in Christ. Let's partake of heaven together now. Just as heaven broke loose that day and his father told him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the heavens are torn open. So too the curtain shall be torn the day he dies and all heaven will break loose because the barrier between us and God's holy of holy presence has been torn. Let us partake of his cup as a reminder that there is no longer a barrier between us and God. But instead we come boldly toward the throne of grace for we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. For he has been tempted in all ways and yet without sin. Let's partake. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. And thank you for your work. God, draw us towards you. Draw us toward the knowledge of what it means to align ourselves with you. Show us that there's no path worth living in. No path worth walking in besides yours. Teach us how to grow and to fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Well, we hope you are going to continue to love our series called The String of Pearls. We continue next week. If you're new to Horizon, we'd love to introduce and say hi to you. Third door on your left in the hearth room. And if you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes out in the foyer. Thanks again. We'll see you all next week.